welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Crucible Leadership. Get that to your hands. Hey, shut up, man. Listen to me. There ain't no bet. Yeah, but you shouldn't have turned the gun on that kid, man. You shouldn't have turned the hey, gun on that kid. Do you want your cut of this money or not? Now shut up. Shut up. We say often on the show that crucibles don't happen to us, they happen for us. And in this second episode of our special summer series, Lights, Camera, Crucibles, what our favorite movie heroes can teach us about overcoming setbacks and failure, we examine that truth as played out in the story of Batman. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show. There have been no shortage of films through the years about Gotham City's Dark Knight. You might even say there have been a lot of bats in the cinematic belfry. But Warwick and I spend most of our time this week discussing Batman 1989, starring Michael Keaton, who you just heard in that clip. It's a powerful story about how Bruce Wayne did not let the unimaginable trauma of seeing his parents murdered when he was a boy keep him from a life of significance. He found purpose in his pain by training his body and his mind to strike fear into the hearts of those who would prey on the innocent. And if you think he does it as a lone vigilante, well, keep listening. You might just change your mind. I don't know when you got into Batman first or became aware of Batman first, Warwick. Uh, for me, it was as a kid. I would come home from school and that old 60s TV show starring Adam West, which is a bit campy, but fun for kids. That was always on television. And I watched that um, with uh, religious fervor when I was a kid. Uh, in fact, last week when we were talking about Captain America, um, you made reference to kind of your own love of heroes and how that came to be. I, I was such a superhero geek. I, I have pictures of me with a birthday cake when I'm like six months old, um, you know, a year old. 
um, with Batman on the cake. That's what a, what a geek I was. My brother, who's 14 years older than me, my brother Dean still makes fun of me because I used to call the little toys I had of Batman. I used to call them bendy men. Cause they had like, they had like bendable things on them. So he still will ask me because he sees things like this guy right here who doesn't bend, but he'll see things that I have in my superhero memorabilia collection and ask if they're bendy men. So uh, that's where my, <laughs> My my bona fides to to be part of this series and my excitement comes from. But what was your first introduction to uh, to to Batman that that you can remember? You know, it's the same as for you. I mean, in, in Australia, we got you know we had three commercial networks, Channel Nine, Seven, and Ten, and so they were all looking for content. So a lot of our programming was the same as the U.S. So we absolutely in the '60s had the Batman TV series and. Growing up in the 60s and 70s, like you, you know, I loved it, uh, you know, in, and we'll talk about this in a sense, I could identify with Bruce Wayne growing up in this wealthy background. And yeah, I wasn't exactly Batman at night or during the day or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't go into the uh, the, the lair of the Riddler or, uh, you know, the Joker. And if, as you remember, whenever Adam West went in there, they always turn the camera like at a diagonal. So you had to right. turn your head like left instead of follow. And every time he hit somebody, it would go like, bam, pow. And there'd be like a little cartoon yep. animation. But, you know, I mean, I guess it was campy. But growing up then, you didn't think about that as a kid. You've got this good guy is fighting evil and, you know, he's heroic and, you know, has Robin beside him and Commissioner Gordon and the whole thing. So, yeah, I love that TV series and, you know, being a fan of uh, Batman and his heroic deeds ever since. One of the things that's that is that is a touch point for a lot of folks of a certain age that that's and even today, because it's in it's on uh, reruns on some cable networks. That is a common reference point, that TV show from the 60s of a lot of folks. Um when it comes to the Batman character, but it, that wasn't the first filmed entertainment of the Batman character. In fact, the first filmed entertainment was on the big screen, was on the movie screen. And that were uh, in 1943, just four years after the character was created in 1939 in detective comics, now called DC comics. Um, they did those. If you remember Warwick, those film serials that they would run, they would run them before um, the feature uh, not that you saw them because they were in the 40s, but um, the, the concept, uh, you know, is, is familiar. They would run these these cliffhanger things. The Indiana Jones movies were kind of based off that the, the rhythms of those old serials where there'd be like a self-contained half an hour and then the hero would be in danger at the end and you'd have to come back next week to see if he survived. But there were two of those, one in 1943 on Batman and Robin, and then they did another one in 1949. So that was the cinematic birth, if you will, uh, of, of Batman. But if you've been paying attention to the culture listener, you know that that wasn't the that one nor the 60s TV show were the last iterations of Batman that have made an impact on culture. You might say there's been a lot of bats in the cinematic belfry when it comes to Batman, because in 1989, and that's going to be the focus of what we talk about mostly here is the 1989 film Batman starred Michael Keaton, which was kind of the birth of modern day superhero movies. Yes, I was a big fan of Superman back in 1978, but that was a little bit more, they had a little bit of camp to it, but there was humor involved. 
Uh, Lex Luthor, the, the bad guy played by Gene Hackman, was a little funny. And there wasn't a lot of explosions and and stunts and those kind of things going on in that movie. But Batman 1989 really brought that home. A film starring Michael Keaton uh, and directed by Tim Burton had a real cinematic flair to it. And that really kicked off the modern superhero uh uh, craze that we now see all the time where the top any given year and at the box office, right? The top seven of the top 10 movies are going to be superhero films. That's just the way it's been for the last couple of decades. But so Michael Keaton plays Batman in two movies in, in, in 89, he comes back in um, Batman returns nicely titled. Um, then he leaves the role. Val Kilmer takes it over for Batman forever. Uh, and then George Clooney takes it over in Batman and Robin. And those movies, the one we're going to talk about today mostly is Batman, the original. Those movies got a little bit more campy as they went on and, and Michael Keaton left the role. Then there was a little bit of a pause for a while. And uh, then Batman came back with uh, Christian Bale, playing Batman and some of the most acclaimed films in the Batman uh, canon um, were, were Batman Begins, The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Returns, all starring Christian Bale. Heath Ledger played the Joker in the middle one of those, The Dark Knight. And, you know, after he passed away, he won an Oscar for his portrayal. Fantastic. Um, a lot grittier, but um, still captured the beats of Batman. That wasn't the end. Then just a couple of years ago in 2016 and 2017, Ben Affleck shows up as Batman in Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice and then in Justice League. And just this spring in 2022, uh, just a few months back, another Batman film premiered, came out, new Batman, sort of a new take on it, a new iteration. And that was The Batman starring Robert Pattinson, who was uh, who was best known and, and made a lot of Batman fans kind of go, what? Um, when he was cast, because he was in the Twilight movies, the, the, those, those, those teen drama movies about a, 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 a vampire and a werewolf find for the affections of a young girl. Um, so I've seen all of those movies and, and what I, what we'll talk about here, we're going to spend a lot of our time, most of our time focused on the 1989 Batman with Michael Keaton, but, uh, there are beats that run throughout all these movies that we're going to draw on. So, um, with that, Warwick, what, uh, as we about to jump in to talk about Batman, have you've seen all these films or most of these films, you're aware of what they're going on. Why do you think, you know, just, I haven't asked you this question before. Why do you think Batman shows up so often um, he, and gets rebooted so many times? We've seen it a lot with, with Spider-Man on the other side of uh, on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but in the DC Cinematic U uh, Universe, Batman's shown up even more than Superman on the big screen. Yeah, I think starting with the 1989 version of Batman, uh, Batman isn't, um, isn't really a cartoon superhero. There's some depth. Uh, he's a troubled soul in a way uh, in these versions as a darkness in a sense. But, you know, it, and we'll talk about this obviously a fair bit. There's a redemptive quality of being able to face his inner demons. And it's not easy. He's haunted by them in, in various iterations. But he uses his pain to really focus on others, to help the world, help Gotham City help the people. And so there's this sense of he's troubled, but not defeated. He's down, but not out. And maybe there's something about 
you know, there's darkness, but yet there's a purpose. Uh, it's just a character that uh, people are haunted by in a, in, in a good sense. He's not this everything's fine and it's all good. It's He's faced challenges, but yet he fights them. And uh, despite his challenges, he, in a sense, overcome, overcomes them and uh, lives a life of significance focused on others. I think that's probably some of the reasons, perhaps, that people really resonate. And if Crucible leadership and Beyond the Crucible had a superhero mascot, Batman would be a pretty good example, wouldn't he? I mean, <laughs> all of them, that's why we're doing this series, because superheroes and other movie heroes have had Crucibles in their films and they overcome them. But what you just described, Batman seems like a he could be kind of an emblem for, uh, and I would endorse that if we wanted to make uh, Batman the emblem of of, of uh, crucible leadership. Well, and here's a, another. I mean, obviously, I don't have a secret identity, or at least if I do, I'm not telling anybody. But uh, no, I, I don't have a secret identity. And obviously, I didn't go through what uh, Bruce Wayne did in terms of his parents. But as listeners would know, I too grew up in a um, very wealthy background, and uh, I didn't want to be defined by privilege. Didn't want that to be who I was known by. I'd like to think I. Lead a life with crucible leadership focused on helping others. Um, you know, I too uh, had a butler. Uh, so, if when you grow up in a wealthy family, sometimes you do. These days, not always, frankly. But when I grew up, my dad, who was in his late fifties when I was born, he grew up before World War One, believe it or not. So he grew up in that Victorian era, and so we had a butler and a chauffeur and a few others. So uh, you know. Uh, my butler was an English butler, Joe Welton, Mr. Welton. He'd be offended if we called him Joe, uh, Mr. Welton. So I didn't have an Alfred, but I had a, I had a Mr. Welton. And uh, yeah, he didn't exactly get me, uh, get me ready for, uh, for missions and all. But uh, yeah, so in that sense, I can identify with that side of Bruce Wayne, certainly. Well, and that's something that we really <laughs> have to focus on as we go through this discussion. This is, of course, not my voice. This is me speaking through the armored Batman helmet that Ben Affleck wore in Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. So I had to throw this in before we go into a more serious discussion of what we're going to talk about here. Oh, that is great. That is... <laughs> <laughs> that is that is so good. That is channeling your your inner Batman. So uh, yeah, maybe we can come up with a a Batman uh, mask with crucible leadership on top. You know, we'll see if we can do yeah. that without breaking copyright. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so where we want to kind of uh, start talking about here um, is is the idea of what makes Batman Batman, and I think. There are key things, as I said, there are key things in all these different movie versions that sort of run through them all. But one of the chief ways that Batman fights crime, one of the chief ways that he defeats, uh, whether it's organized crime or it's supervillains, is through um, leveraging his outward appearance, his, his embracing of the Bat persona to really strike fear into the heart's of those who would prey on others. So that was a it was that was a short clip, Warwick, but it was a very effective one of Michael Keaton's Batman um, really kind of debuting in the sense of he appears to these villains who kind of have heard rumors that there's this guy, there's this 
creature stalking uh, the the alleyways of Gotham City at night. Then he makes his appearance, and and he's not going to kill him. He's not about that. We'll talk about that too. He wants to strike fear into their hearts, and he wants to do that by having them go tell their friends all about him, so that his, their friends know it's not a rumor. There is a Batman stalking the streets of Gotham and protecting its citizenry from that evil element. Very effective scene, and it, it, not just in terms of the film, but in setting up who Batman is, isn't it? Absolutely, Gary. I mean, Batman is somebody that strikes, as you say, fear in uh, the heart of evildoers, because they never know when he, where he's going to be lurking, what building he's going to be looking down on them at any moment. He could swoop down with his sort of, uh, in his bat cape and uh, intimidate them and, uh, yeah, just strike fear into their hearts. So, you know, next time they rob somebody or, or worse, they're going to be thinking, well, where's Batman? He's everywhere. And am I safe? Maybe, maybe I shouldn't do that bad thing. So in this sense, striking fear into his enemies is a good thing because it might make them think twice before doing something evil. So it's very effective. Just his sheer persona and presence uh, is effective. Yeah. And the reason that, we, that we're talking about Batman here on a show called Beyond the Crucible, about how you, how you move beyond your crucibles, is because Batman and all the heroes that we're going to be talking about in this series, from their crucible grows their um, their life of significance, grows their heroism in some way, be that superheroism or sports heroism or general kind of action heroism. It's from crucibles that that's birthed. And the crucible in the life of Batman begins when he's young Bruce Wayne. He's a boy. And it's depicted very effectively in, in the movie that we're talking about here, Batman in 1989, but it's it's depicted in, 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 in every movie in one way or another. And that is his parents are walking him home after a night at the theater and a bad guy, a, a, a robber, um, shows up on the scene, pulls a gun um, and kills Batman's parents who are uh, who are rich uh, who have their he's he's in a you know Batman's dad uh, very well known patron of the arts and and, and businessman in Gotham City bad guy comes in in this movie 1989's Batman with Michael Keaton it's a guy named Jack Napier who shoots uh Batman uh, you know Bruce Wayne's parents and he's orphaned at a young age, they don't say exactly how old he is, but he's probably, it looks like he's about eight, nine years old. His parents are murdered right before him. When it comes to crucibles that superheroes go through, I can't think of one that's probably as emotionally devastating as that. That's a, that would be a, that that's a tough one to get over. And all the Batman movies do a good job of showing the struggles that Bruce Wayne has as he moves on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're a young boy, and we don't know his exact age, but he looks like he's younger than 10. So I don't know if it's seven, eight, nine, is a young kid. To see your parents murdered in front of you by this evil uh, villain, that is going to give you nightmares. That's going to traumatize you. Frankly, that's going to screw you up. I mean, it's hard not to be screwed up by something, something so horrific at a young age. And so the test he's going to face throughout his life is... You know, am I going to be defined by this crucible? Mm -hmm. uh, am I going to let it defeat me and destroy me? Yes, it's probably going to haunt me for the rest of my life. 
in a sense, but am I going to try and channel this uh, pain that I feel for something good, something that's beneficial? And so um, it's a horrendous experience. It traumatizes him. It clearly damages him. And really the arc of the Batman movies is what does he do with his damage and trauma? Does he let it define him or does he channel it in a way that's more beneficial? Right. In one of the movies series that we've talked about, the Christian Bale version of Batman adds another beat on top of his parents being killed. And that is why he embraced a bat as his symbol. In, in, in Batman Begins, the, the first Christian Bale movie, before his parents are killed, Bruce falls through a well uh, on the family property, and he ends up in this bat cave well under the ground. And he's very afraid because bats are milling about. He's very young, um, and uh, he, he's frightened of bats. And what ends up happening after his parents are killed is he's trying to find a way to avenge their deaths and to keep Gotham City safe, he adopts, uh, he, he, he learns to overcome his fear of bats. And he says this, Christian Bale's Batman says this about why he chose the bat as his, his identity. He said, people need dramatic symbols to shake them out of their apathy. And I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a symbol, I can be incorruptible. I can be everlasting. So that is a is a little bit of a shading on why he picks bats that both allows him to, to shake up the populace to, to have something to believe in, while at the same time doing what we talked about earlier, striking fear into the hearts of the, the underworld in Gotham City and the villains of Gotham City, because let's face it, nobody really likes bats. They're scary. But he learns to, to, to master that fear Again, one of the principles of bouncing back from your crucible is 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 mastering fear. He uses that to 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 master his fear. He then leverages the symbol of the bat to strike fear into the hearts of villains. And um, really, I mean, the way that this this is a perfect crucible leadership story is that out of his crucible of losing his parents, Bruce Wayne commits himself to protecting others from having to go through similar crucibles. We talk all the time about a, a life of significance. Bruce Wayne lives a double life of significance in the sense that he has a secret identity. Bruce Wayne is his secret identity. And as Batman, his life of significance is striking fear into the hearts of those who want to strike fear into other people. He becomes the thing that can challenge those forces that murdered his parents. Um, that is, again, when you talk about a life of significance, when you talk about learning the lessons of your crucible, not staying in your crucible, but moving beyond it to live a life of significance to serve others, this is, while nobody we've had on the show, as far as I know, is a superhero with a with a secret identity, a lot of the emotional beats of what they've gone through, our guests have gone through, what you've gone through, what I've gone through, similar to what Bruce Wayne goes through in his in his arc to becoming Batman, in all seriousness, true? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you go through pain and suffering, and um, in this uh, iteration, Bruce Wayne embraces the trauma he's gone through, the fear of bats, and he uses that fear and channeling it in in a good sense. Um, that double life, that double uh, sort of that second persona, allows him to be this figure 
that he probably couldn't have been with with Bruce Wayne. It's just as I'm reflecting, you know, I think of um, you know another '60s TV show uh, Zorro, in which you had mm. uh, Diego uh, de la Vega, who was this sort of aristocratic noble in the then you know Spanish-held California in I don't know 1830s or whenever it was 1820s, and uh, by day he's this dilettante, uh, you know, playboy guy, but at night he's the fox, you know, Zorro, you know, and saving saving right. the people. Th- this sort of, um, even for me being an English history fan, there was an early iteration, uh, The Scarlet Pimpernel, in which there's been a lot of movies made on that, in which you had a uh, English noble uh, dressed up as all sorts of disguises in the French Revolution to come over from England to France to help rescue uh, poor aristocratic, well, poor in spirit aristocratic French nobles that are going to be killed. Now, obviously, how good were they? I don't know, but in the English telling of it, they're you know, poor persecuted aristocrats that need to be saved. So this sense of double life you know, it, there's a long history in that. You know, Zara is obviously very familiar with folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something about that that enables uh, Batman to do what he couldn't do as Bruce Wayne. Maybe he's a playboy and a bit of, you know, philanthropist. But, you know, if Bruce Wayne went around saying, I'm here to help you, it's like, I'm sorry, Bruce who? You? It right. just kind of wouldn't fly. He needed a persona to, in a sense, fully be the person he needed to be to help people, to save people. Right. And the other thing that I hadn't really thought in depth about until I watched Batman 89 with Michael Keaton uh, to prep for this show is there's another aspect to Bruce Wayne, Batman's life of significance. And that's this. He's, as we said, his dad was an industrialist, had a lot of money. He lives in this big mansion um, where he in in the movie Batman eighty nine he he doesn't you know he he says at one point I don't think I've ever been in this room right there's all these rooms in the house he doesn't know anything about he's sort of disconnected from some of that part of his life but that's that's part of his commitment to serving others right as we say a life of significance a life lived on purpose dedicated to serving others he's got all this money depending on what time you're plugging into. In the 60s, he was a millionaire. Now he's a billionaire. But he does not use that money for his own advancement. He uses that money to build Batmobiles, to build the Batwing, the Batplane, Batboat, uh, his Batarangs and his, his his grappling guns. He he uses the money to build crime fighting tools. There's a, there's a, there's a funny throwaway scene in the movie Justice League that goes back to Ben Affleck's um, Batman in, in 2017. And the Flash, who's one of the other heroes on the Justice League, um, asks um, Bruce Wayne, who's not in costume, he's just Bruce Wayne at the time, he says, what's your superpower again? And, and Bruce Wayne says very, very humorously, but very, very poignantly, I think, too, he says, I'm rich. His superpower is that he's rich. And that's part of what his superpower is because of the way he uses that wealth to build up crime fighting tools that, again, scare 
put fear into the hearts of those who would who would put fear into the hearts of the populace, but also to help him win the battles that, that he he wins against. We'll see in a minute here. He wins against people who are much more superpowered than he is. Yeah, I mean, that's very true. I mean, obviously, growing up in a wealthy family, I relate to this, but he doesn't want to be defined by his money. He doesn't want to think, oh, just because I have money, I'm better than other people. He more sees the money he has as a way of helping other people. But certainly in the 89 movie and probably others, he doesn't feel completely comfortable when, uh, you know, um, Vicki Vale, who's his love interest in the 89 movie, asks him, is this really you, this whole Wayne man? He says, well, right. yeah, in a sense, but in a sense, it's not. They have dinner at this big, long table where you've got to yell to hear right. the person at the other end of the table, which in reality, people really don't eat like that, even wealthy folks, but it makes for a humorous movie. And she says, "Is it, are you comfortable like this? He says, actually, no. So they go eat with Alfred uh, in the kitchen at a, just a smaller, a smaller table. So in one sense, he's not really that comfortable with this whole money image persona, but he uses what he has to help others. He doesn't he, he, he does not let the wealth define him. He uses right. money in a way that helps to help define what he believes he wants to put his life to, which is helping people and saving people. Yeah. I mean, he absolutely leverages that to further his life of significance. It's a piece that allows him to get there. Um, one of the most fascinating things I've always found about Batman is that he's unique among superheroes in that he has no superpowers right? Gamma radiation did not make him strong like it did the Hulk. A radioactive, a radioactive spider did not bite him and give him the power to climb up walls uh, with just his fingertips. Um, he's not an alien from another planet who can fly and shoot lasers out of his eyes like Superman. He is in many ways an average everyday man, aside from the money, he has to work for, he has to cultivate his advantages over the villains he encounters. And as we think about this in the context of crucible leadership, you say it all the time, Warwick, you have to learn the lessons from your crucible and apply them. You have to grow. You have to, you have to move forward, take one small step, right? Batman didn't just go from his parents being killed to running in and, and fighting bad guys. Uh, and Batman begins with Christian Bale. He gets trained in martial arts. He learns he has to train his body and then train his mind to become a good detective, his body to become a good fighter, his mind to become a good detective. He has to create himself in, in a sense. And in that way, I think he's one of the most identifiable superheroes for us because none of us are going to be Superman, but any of us could be Batman. Seems fair, yeah, it, isn't it? It's such a good point, Gary. I mean, even uh, Captain America, the, you know, was a regular guy, but he receives serum and grows right. a few inches and a lot of muscles and pounds. But um, in a sense, uh, Batman is a self-made man. You know, he makes him, you know, physically, you see in various iterations him working out and just honing his body. But just, you know, mentally, in terms of his character, he hones those aspects so that he is committed to fighting for people and saving people, 
and he uses technology in a way that will do that. So it's all part of a plan of, you know, body, mind, spirit, character. And so in that sense, you're right, to a degree, I mean, absent the money, not everybody has millions of dollars. So that's a bit different. But other than that, anybody can use the, you know, you know, can become fitter, physically fitter, and certainly more mentally, spiritually agile, uh, strength of character. I mean, really, so often the, the the superpowers that we see in some of these characters, certainly Captain America, his superpower wasn't just his strength, it was his character. And right. I think that's true of Batman, is that strength of character, the ability to turn dire circumstances into something that helps people, that's really a sense of strength of character that I think we can all aspire to and have the opportunity to um, to emulate. Yeah, he's a hero because of the choices he makes. He chooses to to overcome, to work through, even though he is as makes as is made clear in uh, Batman 1989 with the Joker played by Jack Nicholson that they have a lot of similar things in their personalities. Both of them have been met with dark forces. Batman chooses to follow light, not darkness. Though he's he's he he's damaged, as you pointed out, uh, in in a lot of these movies, and certainly in this one, he he has suffered damage, but he doesn't live there. He doesn't allow himself to wallow there, right? Uh, we talk about that all the time. We talk about crucibles not so that we can commiserate, but so that we can elevate. He's a character who elevates, whereas the Joker is a character who denigrates, who 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 uh, devolves, and he embraces the darkness that he comes in contact with. Batman doesn't do that. He makes the choice not to do that. I, I, I think I think that's worth just for listeners to pause and consider what Gary has been talking about. Because at its extreme, we all have a choice. And this is making a point by stating the extreme. We have a choice. Do we want to be Batman or the Joker? That might seem like, oh, well, what are you talking about? Well, there's this phrase, hurt people, hurt people. And so left to its own devices, if you've been damaged, I mean, some people have faced physical crucibles, uh, abuse, lost loved ones at an early age, um, lost businesses. There's all sorts of traumas that people go through. One path is to be bitter and angry at yourself, at others, and just be filled with so much anger that, you know what? I've been hurt so much. The world is corrupt. It's evil. And you know what? I'm not going to play. I'm not going to be a a pawn anymore. I'm going to go out there and just look out for number one and Hey, I was hurt, so I'm going to hurt others. Who cares? What's the point of it all? There's no hope. There's no God. There's no good. You know, let's just do whatever it takes to win. If that means hurting people, hey, I was hurt. That's just life. Let's let's go. So that's almost a Joker kind of mentality. Right. We don't know his full backstory in terms of why he grew up the way he did, uh, but I'm sure probably had his own traumas. But he's so hurt and damaged, he just wants to kill and hurt as many people as possible. So he chose the path of darkness. Again, you know, you look at like a, 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 you know, the Force and Star Wars and Darth Vader, you can choose the the dark side or you can choose the light, in the case of Star Wars, the Force. So Batman also was pretty screwed up with what he saw with his parents being killed. He could have gone down that Joker route and used his money to hurt people, that was an option, but he chose 
remorse, a redemptive arc to use his pain to help people. So at its extreme, we have a choice. And, you know, really, when you go through pain, it tends to be a binary choice. You either use that, your pain for a purpose to help others, or your pain will tend to devour you and destroy you. And frankly, if you're destroyed and full of pain, there's a very good chance, whether you want to or not, you will start hurting other people. You may not want to, but as I said, you know, why is it so true that people who were abused as kids typically abuse their kids? That's the norm. I can't fathom how that could be possible. But psychologists will tell you that's the norm or very common. So don't fool yourself into thinking, oh, I could never be the joker. Well, you know, at its extreme, if you don't learn the lessons of your crucible and use your pain to help others, there's another choice, the dark side, that will tend to consume you and probably others. So it's more yeah. real than I think we, we realize. I'm going to jump ahead in our notes a little bit just because what you just said is a great place to make this point. And that is Batman, especially in this 1989 movie, is not a vigilante. In more recent iterations of the character, there is a vigilanteism about him, and people think of him in those terms. But in this in this movie, key scene when the Joker becomes the Joker, he is Jack Napier, just kind of a a mob enforcer. He um, he's in this chemical plant. He's been he's been sold out by his boss because he's he's sleeping with his boss's girlfriend. Batman shows up, and he's he's fighting with Jack Napier and. They're over a vat of chemicals. Batman's got him by the wrist as he's hanging over the vat of chemicals. And he falls into the vat of chemicals, Jack Napier does, and he becomes the Joker. I watched the movie again, and I, I was like, did he did he drop him on purpose, or did it slip? And I actually went to the script, the the actual final script of the movie, uh, to, to, to get my answer, because that's important. If he drops him, he's made a, a darker choice. He's more like the Joker than, than he probably wants to be, but he doesn't drop him on purpose. According to the script, it, it describes the action is this. Batman reaches, gets a poor grip. He stares perplexed at the stricken expression in Jack Napier's eyes. Jack's sliding out of Batman's grip. Jack looks up at him in terror and slips away. They did a novelization of that movie, of this movie, Batman in 1989. And it says that's based on the fourth draft of the script. And this is what it says in that novelization. Jack lost the pipe, but the Batman held him. His grip wasn't firm. Jack could feel the bat's cloth covered fingers slipping away. That's important to point out on the heels of what you said about he had to make a choice and he has to make a choice pretty much every day, like all of us do when it comes to coming back from a crucible. It's not a one and done, as you've said, scores of times. Batman has to make a choice every day. Is he going to be for light or is he going to be for darkness? Because every day finds him in a position where he has the, he has the capabilities because of the way he's trained his body and because of the weapons that his money allows him to buy. He has the ability to end life like that, but that's not the way he operates in mo in the most, for me, resonant iterations of the character. Yeah, it's such a good point, Gary. I mean, basically the point is you don't fight evil by becoming evil. 
And Batman makes that choice. It's like, look, this, I don't know that he realizes at that point who the Joker is, Jack Napier in the sense of, or who Jack Napier uh, was uh, before in the sense of the one who killed his parents. But the point is, he knew he was a bad guy, you know, a mobster. He could have said, like, you know, one less mobster, let the guy die, you know. Right. But yet he he didn't. He was never about killing even bad guys. He was about protecting and saving people. His his focus was on saving lives, saving humans, not so much on killing bad guys. In fact, you know, Batman doesn't have guns. He has grappling hooks. He has tools. He doesn't run around killing people. I mean, that's sort of a interesting superhero. But yeah, he's all about protecting people. He's all about uh, trying to live his values. He's He is not going to become the Joker in order to defeat the Joker. That's a choice right. he makes time and time again. Right. And in fact, in the movie Batman versus Superman, Ben Affleck uh, and Henry Cavill as Superman, the reason that they're versus each other is that Batman is so upset that in an earlier battle, Superman and fighting a villain, Zod, um, they just destroyed huge parts of Metropolis in their fight. And Batman was angry with Superman because he saw this unchecked power not caring about the safety of the populace. He didn't value life from Batman's perspective. And that's why they're at odds with each other in that movie. Another beat, Warwick, uh, that's interesting uh, about Batman is that he didn't just train his body. Yeah, he's good with his feet and his fists. But he's also good with his mind. Key scene in, 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 in the 1989 Batman movie is the Joker has has because uh, he had a chemistry background. He was good at chemistry in high school. His file indicates. And he has rigged up uh, these you know colognes and makeup and hairspray to when when you use them all together, it 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 is it's poison and it, it it kills people and it leaves them with big smiles on their faces like he is left with this this immovable rictus on his face because he fell into the vat of chemicals he creates this and batman doesn't defeat it through might at least not might of his body he defeats it through the the might of his mind he has, in addition to training his body, he's trained his mind to become a true detective. And that's one of the things that makes Batman stand out is that in this movie is a great example of it. He finds a way to, to, exa to examine the chemicals that are at play, what's killed these people. And he brings a detective's moxie and insight into letting the people of Gotham know, don't use this in, in concert with this and this you know, product in concert with that. And he saves the day, not through his power um, of his, of his fists, of his feet, of his, of his fancy weapons, but through the power of his mind that he's developed. Again, one of those things that the character of Batman constantly getting better, constantly training both mind and body to meet the challenges to keep peace in Gotham city. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. He uses his, mind and analytical ability to figure out, okay, you know, you can't use hairspray with shampoo or lipstick or, you know, whatever the combination of cosmetics are. Um, and I think the wider point is often our greatest superpower is our mind, is how we think about things. 
Are we going to look at what happened as to us as a life-determining defeat? Are we going to look at it as something that provides an opportunity to help people channel what we've been through in a positive sense? So really, you know, guarding our mind and how we think, making sure that it's focused on positive items of gratitude rather than negative items of uh, retribution, grievance, and anger. You know, guarding our minds, our hearts, how we think is, you know, often the battle for our lives and which way it turns out is typically a battle within. It's our mind, our heart, our character, but it really starts with how we think. How we think determines the course of our lives. Batman was constantly using his mind, his thoughts in a positive way, channeled in a positive direction. The Joker he used his intellect to, how can I think of creative ways to kill people and terrorize right. them? Right. You know, as we see in the end of the movie with these big you know, balloons full of poisonous gas. I mean, yeah, he had some creativity and intelligence, the Joker did, but he used it to kill people. You know? Right. So how we use our mind and how we train it is, is critical. That's a great pivot point for us to talk about something else that is in the story of Batman that's critical to what we talk about here at Beyond the Crucible. And that is Batman can be easily painted as a loner, right? He takes on crucibles and crime all by himself. Um, He lost his parents as a boy, but in very real ways, he was not orphaned. Uh, And all the movies do a do a pretty good job of showing this because it's through the Butler that you talked about earlier, Alfred, the Butler, that Batman has not just a compatriot who's, who's behind him, who knows his identity and, and, and assists him. And, and, in, and in some of the more recent movies, uh, Alfred's a bit of a like a an, an ex British commando who's got a lot of military insights and and ability. In this movie, Batman '89, and certainly in the TV show, he was just a kindly butler who offered love and encouragement to Bruce Wayne, who becomes a surrogate father to him when his parents are murdered. There's a scene in Batman '89 between uh, when when Vicky Vale, who you mentioned, was Batman's love interest, Bruce Wayne's love interest comes over for dinner and they they're sitting around Bruce Wayne, Alfred and Vicky Vale and they're talking and Alfred leaves to go do something for Bruce or to go to bed and Vicky just looks at Bruce and says he really loves you a lot. And and that is a spotlight on a truth, isn't it Warwick, about crucible leadership that don't go it alone. Surround yourself with those who believe in you, who can help pick you up when tough times come and show you the way forward. That's who Alfred is uh, for Bruce Wayne Batman, isn't he? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, being orphaned like that, uh, it can really screw you up, I'm sure. But Alfred does become this father figure, this figure that, yes, he serves him in a sense, but he loves Bruce Wayne and wants to protect him. He always has his best interest at heart. He encourages uh, Bruce to tell Vicki Vale who he is, to take the risk. And as we see in the movie, eventually, um, he can't quite get it done. He gets interrupted at different times, once by the Joker. Uh, but eventually, uh, Alfred brings 
uh, Vicky Vale into the Batcave. I don't think he asks Bruce no. Wayne. He just doesn't. <laughs> no. And yeah. it's like, you know what? I'm going to take matters into, you know, my own hands here. You know, Vicky Vale is a, is a, a nice woman, nice girl, and uh, there's something there. And so, you know, um, Alfred always has Bruce Wayne, Batman's best into the heart. And by the end of the movie, not only does Bruce Wayne have Alfred, he has Vicky Vale that knows who he is and believes in him. You know, having people that know us warts and all, in this case, you know, he's got, he, Bruce, has two people that know everything about him, uh, you know, things that many people don't, but that know who you are, know in this sense that he's a tortured soul, Bruce Wayne, but yet love him and believe in him anyway. You know, having unconditional love from friends and family is absolutely critical to us being able to get beyond our crucible and, in fact, being able to turn it into a positive light to help others. So, you know, it, it begs the question, could Bruce Wayne have become Batman without Alfred? I think not. It's hard to really conceive of that happening. Uh, so it, it's critical to have people that believe in you uh, in your life. Yeah. I mean, that is a, and again, that's a story that we hear all the time on the show. Uh, people who have, and you talk about it in your book, um, have a team of fellow travelers, have some people who understand who you are, ask people what your gifts and value and talents are so that you can get an, an idea of, 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 of what that next act is going to look like as you move beyond your crucible. It's, it, it's critical. And, 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 and so often Batman's sort of pegged as this lone figure but even even in in the current movies batman's the one in justice league who convenes the team batman sees that he can't do it all by himself if he's going to stamp out the evil that's going on he needs other people with different gifts and talents than he has to take the battle to the bad guy and that is uh that's not loner behavior on his part at all he's the guy he's he's the the agent who's bringing all of those all those folks together. You mentioned this idea of people who know you, people who um, who can identify with you. And I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit again. I mentioned earlier that my my love of Batman began when I was a kid and it was from the TV show. And one of the things I loved about that TV show was the was the campy sort of silly flirtations that Batman had with Catwoman, played by Julie Newmar. The relationship that that they had was was cute and it was playful and it was fun even for me as a kid who still thought girls had germs when I was like eight or nine or however old I was. But in The Dark Knight Rises, which is the third of the Christian Bale movies, that movie ends in a place that that that, that figures Alfred into the equation as well as this idea of being known by someone. Batman and Catwoman know each other because they are also similar in some ways some 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 bad times in life some broken you know catwoman's a is a, a villain but she's kind of got a good heart most of the time and it's, she's more of what an anti-hero kind of villain in some ways and there's attraction between them but they know each other because they're both similar in the sense that they they have secret identities they have these things that they do to kind of to kind of beat back the demons that they had growing up um, and there's a really sweet scene at the end of of the Dark Knight Rises that you know made my little boy's heart leap with joy because Bruce Wayne Batman disappears as that movie ends. Alfred, who's played in in the Christian Bale movies by Michael Caine, an excellent actor, 
he goes to this cafe. I think it's in Paris. He looks at a table out in front and there's Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle, Catwoman, having a laugh and having, uh, having a meal. And they, they, they put the camera on, on Alfred and he smiles because he sees here's his surrogate son. Here's the, here's the boy he raised happy. Talk about a life of significance. He's given, he's given, he's given, he's given. He's always been about what he could give, not what he could receive. And he has received now love because he's let someone in who understands him, knows who he is, both in the, in the literal sense as he's Batman and Bruce Wayne, but also knows who he is in his heart. And that is that life of significance that pleases the people around us when they see us happy. Alfred's, Alfred's smile says everything about how much he loves Bruce Wayne and how much that story arc has sort of ended in a place where he's left. He can leave what we talk about all the time, a grand legacy. Who knows what happens to them after that? Batman and, and, and Catwoman, Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle. Do they get married? Do they have kids? Do they go on to, you know, to continue to make the world a better place? It's a beautiful ending, but it speaks to that idea of those who know you, those who love you will come alongside you. And that becomes part of your life of significance to pair up with them if that is the way that it's been laid out for you. Yeah, it's such a good point, Gary. Uh, in the 1989 Batman movie with Bruce uh, Wayne getting together with Vicky Vale, and then in the Christian Bale version of the Batman trilogy, um, getting uh, linked up uh, with uh, you know Selena Kyle as uh, as Catwoman. You know, one of the challenges when you've been broken and damaged as Bruce Wayne Batman was is feeling that you're worthy of loving. Sometimes we can feel that we're so broken. They're almost like a, we feel that we're like a leper in biblical times, unclean, stay away. Anybody that gets near me will be damaged. I'm not worth it. I'm not worth loving. And so part of healing and getting beyond your crucible is being able to receive love. Because it can be this notion, if you really knew me, if you really knew what I've done, who I am, you would hate me. You would run. You couldn't love me. Sadly, there's many people out there that think that. But in this, both iterations, uh, uh, whether it's a Batman, whether it's the Michael Keaton or the Christian Bale version, he, not easily, but he lets people in. Alfred, but then, uh, you know, a love interest, be it uh, Vicky Vale, or in this case, Lena Kyle as Catwoman. So I think for all of us, we've got to believe that we are worth loving. Yes, we have faults and flaws, but there is going to be people out there that will accept us and love us because of who we are. And frankly, as we're able to move beyond our crucibles and help others, that in a sense helps. You know, you're not very attractive if you're just a narcissist that's, you know, griping and complaining and wants to damage people. That's forgetting ethics and morality. That's not attractive. You know, yeah. somebody that knows who they are and is trying to use their pain to help others, people are more going to want to be with somebody like that. And so it's no wonder that Vicki Vale and uh, Selena Kyle as Catwoman see the good in Bruce Wayne and Batman and want and want to, you know, want to be with them. So that's an important lesson where we are worth loving and we want to be the kind of person in terms of what we do with our lives that people will want to love if you will. It's a both yeah. end. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point. And oh, 
I see the bat signal up in the up in the sky, which indicates it's almost time for us to have to run out and uh, and save Gotham City. But before we do, let's make um, one last point, I think, which is a good place to to kind of land the plane, as I normally say when I'm not talking about superheroes, when it's about time to end the show. And that's this idea that there's a key part in Batman, the 1989 version, and key to Batman in that movie is that he just doesn't give up, right? He just does not give up, even though it's hard, right? When Vicki Vale asks him late in the movie why he keeps putting his life on the line for a city that doesn't always deserve it and rarely appreciates it in some cases, he says, very simply, it's what I have to do because nobody else can. This is a, is a man. Batman is an example we can follow of, of accepting responsibility for the, the calling we've been given, moving in that calling that we've been given and, and doing it even when it's hard, right? Warwick, you talk all the time about, you know, when crucibles happen, you can lie in bed and pull your head under the covers and just, you know, hope it goes away. Or you can get up and you can take one small step forward. Batman truly is a good example, a, a, a great example, as hard as it is, of continuing to put one foot in front of the other and taking small steps because it's what I have to do. Nobody else can. Think about that, listener, in your own in your own crucible experiences when you're you're looking at your calling. You're uniquely called to your calling. Nobody else can do it the way that you do it. Your calling is your calling for a reason. So this idea that it's what I have to do, nobody else can do it, add on to the sentence the way that I can do it, is true for Batman and is true in a very, very real, non-goofy superhero sense for all of us when it comes to our calling. No one's going to do that. If we feel called to something, no one's going to be able to do that exactly like we are. And that's why we have to find the fortitude to keep moving forward, isn't it? Yeah, it's such a good point. Um, you know, calling is a great word. You know, what is our calling? It will often come out of the pain, the suffering, even the darkness that we face. But that sense of calling, which we define as a life of significance, a life on purpose dedicated to serving others, when you truly believe, I mean, Bruce Wayne feels like there's nobody else that can do what I can do. He's there to help people, save people. When you feel like, I have a unique ability in my own area, neighborhood, in my own way to help people. That sense of calling tends to enhance your sense of perseverance. This mm -hmm. is not about me. I need to keep going. There are people depending on me. It could be my family. It could be friends, people at work, people that we want to help with, uh, organizations we volunteer with. The sense of it's more than just me. Uh, it's not about me. It helps you give, you know, a sense of, um, of perseverance to prevail. You know, I know we're sort of summing up here, there's sort of maybe one other point I'd like maybe to leave listeners with is that, you know, we've talked a lot in this episode about choice. Do you hide under the covers? Do you let the trauma that you went through or the mistakes you made define you? Or are you going to seek to overcome them and using your use your pain for a purpose to help others? And at its extreme, in which movies often give us the extreme version to help bring clarity, in Batman and the 1989 version and others, there is a choice. 
Do you want to be a redemptive figure like Batman that uses his pain to help others? Or do you want to be a narcissist devoted to inflicting pain on others like the Joker? And it sounds awfully extreme, redemption versus narcissism, or let's say redemption versus pain. You know, hurt people, hurt others. If you're not set on a path of redemption to helping others, I don't see how you, it'll be very difficult to avoid being on a path in which not only do you hurt yourself, that you will hurt others. Redemption versus a path of self-destruction to yourself and to others. It sounds awfully extreme, but I think there's some truth in that analogy. And so, you know, it just sounds awfully, almost a comic book-like to say, who would you rather be, Batman or the Joker? But it's, it's more true than we would think, that binary choice. It's clearly an, an extreme version in this movie, but there is some truth behind that. And that, listener, is a perfect place for us to land the bat plane, <laughs> to land the bat wing. We hope that you've enjoyed this discussion of Batman as it pertains to crucible leadership and moving beyond your crucible. I said it before, I say it all the time on the show, that the experiences that we've been through, that you and I and Warwick have been through, not the same as what Bruce Wayne Batman has been through, but the emotional feelings and the emotional needs moving forward are indeed the same. So we hope you've enjoyed uh, this episode of Lights, Camera, Crucibles. And next week, if you want to do your homework, I don't want to call it homework because then you won't want to do it. If you want to do the uh, the preparation work, next week, Warwick and I are going to unpack one of our favorite films, uh, and that's The Natural, in which Robert Redford plays arguably the greatest baseball player of all time. It's a, it's a wonderful kind of allegorical, mythical story of, of, of what being great really is. Spoiler alert, it's not all about what's on the field. But until that next time that we're together, do remember this, listener, that we understand your crucibles are difficult. We understand they're tough. We understand that they can lead you to feel that you're in dark, that you're in a dark place, but they are not the end of your story. If you learn the lesson of your crucible and you move beyond it by applying that lesson to the next step you take and the next step you take and the next step you take as you pursue your life of significance, your story's not over at all. It's just getting started because where it leads to, as I said, is the best destination you can ever imagine. And that is a life of significance.